feet of Jesus Christ. And so that's what Serve Day is all about. the love of the Father's heart, the love of Lord Jesus, that, and we get to serve them and love them for who they are. I love to see how, how you love. I love how you love. I love how you love other people. Come on, let's give Jesus all the praise for that because it's really all about Jesus. It really is. I, I love that we get to serve. We don't have to serve. Come on, everybody. We get to serve. It's the joy of our hearts. It's a passion of ours. It's been something that we do from the very beginning of our church. And so I love that, I love that yesterday over 320 people were in red shirts yesterday making a difference across Wichita Falls and Burke Burnett yesterday. There were over, um, over 1,400 meals that were given out yesterday, over 1,800 bottles of water that were given out yesterday. There were um, dozens of yards that were mowed. There was uh, projects happening for widows and base camp Lindsay, homeless veterans, just people out. Over 320 people making a difference in the name of Jesus. So... Come on, can we just give God praise one more time for that? That's really, really incredible to see you making a difference like that. I'm proud of you. And I wanted to take a moment and point, uh, point you to a serve card in your worship guide. If you showed up yesterday, if you served yesterday and you thought, this is it. This is what I live for. This is what I want to do with my life. I, this is my gift. This is my passion. Then we want to help keep you in the loop. And so this serve card is a way that you can let us know you're interested, all right? So what we'll do is we'll take this information, put it in a list, and whenever serve opportunities come up, whenever first Saturday serves are rolling around or serve days or anything like that, we'll let you know. It doesn't sign you up for it. It just means that we're going to let you know and you can get to decide, am I going to be able to be a part of this or not? And so let us know if you're interested in first Saturday serves or, or outreach small groups. 
um, or random acts of kindness opportunities. That's where you just say, hey, give me a stack of God loves you cards. And every time I go through the drive through I'm paying for somebody's meal behind me. I'm going to pay for somebody's coffee behind me. And I'm going to make sure they get this God loves you card, right? It's just a random act of kindness. And so you can uh, fill that out and then drop it in the offering container at the end of the service. And that's our way to, to know that you're interested in, in being part of that team, all right? So uh, today we have a, an incredible uh, privilege at City Hope, and that is to host one of, um, well, my best friend in the whole world, Pastor Tom Watson, is with us today. And I'm excited about Pastor Tom being with us. I have been on summer break for the last four weeks. Today's my last day to not teach, and I can't wait to teach next week. I'm coming back, and uh, I, get, I get to talk about persecution two, two weeks in a row. So uh, I get to wrap it up with persecution and uh, all the good stuff, right? So, uh, so that's next Sunday. I'll be back teaching next week, um, and then we'll be coming into a series uh, at the beginning of August called Closer that really leads us into a season of 21 days of prayer and and so we'll, we'll be gearing up for that. But uh, Pastor Tom and his wife, Deborah, are with us today. And Pastor Tom and I, we served on a church staff together for about 15 years. And then um, uh, we came here to plant this church. And he and his family planted Five Stones Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee last year. God is working. God is moving through them. And powerful things are happening in Chattanooga. So I would love it if you would help me uh, welcome Pastor Tom today. Would you stand up on your feet with me? And let's show honor to Pastor Tom today. Thanks for being with us, Pastor. Glad you're with us, brother. Hey, let's make some more noise for Jesus. Make it, make it louder than that. Come on. Hey, you can find your seat so good to be at City Hope Church. I'm so excited to be here. I wanted to look right in the camera and welcome all of our folks joining us on the other side of computer screens and tablets and phones, as well as our 430 service. I'm so excited that you can be one church that meets in multiple locations. Can we just put our hands together and welcome our whole church family this morning? So glad to be a part, and I'm excited to be here today. I mean, I, I gotta tell you, we just like you guys, we were having National Serve Day yesterday. We were all over Chattanooga. Now, we didn't have 40 projects. We didn't have, oh my goodness, all of the people that were impacted and touched yesterday. Just absolutely incredible. Just, just amazing to be part of the Capital C Church where we all get together and there are just the hands and feet of Jesus everywhere. That's so exciting to see. But as soon as we could wrap up those projects, I, I, I shot right over the airport and I, I couldn't wait to get here. And the reason why was is twofold. One, the first reason, I have a message, I believe, this is on my heart for you that I wanted to share with you today. But the second reason is because I just couldn't wait to get to Wichita Falls and hug your pastor's necks. Um, and like, there are some people in this life that just refresh your soul, you know? It's like when you see them, there's just something about them. It's just, it just makes everything feel right again. And your pastors are like that. And, and let me just say this. You, you need people like that in your life. If you don't have somebody like that in your life, let me tell you a little bit about our relationship. We, we've got a relationship that, that he is the kind of guy that just both he and, and Annalise, they lift us up, they encourage us, they, they're there for us when we need them. But then also, um, like, he calls me on my junk, too. You got, you got, you got people that call, call you on your junk, and, and I call him on his junk, too. I, you may not think this, but he's got some junk. I mean, it's a little bit of junk. It's, it, like, it's just small. I've been, I mean, like, he's just one of those people I just, I love. I've been patterning my hair after him lately. 
I mean, I, I, I want to be just like him when I grow up. No, but I, I really am. Uh, if you don't have somebody like that, you need to find somebody. That's why there's small groups. You need to dive in and, and get invested in those kind of relationships in your life. And the Bible says that you're supposed to show honor where honor is due. Can we just show a little love for your pastors this morning? Love you so much. Love you. So good. Hey, if you're just now jumping on board with this, this is week seven. You heard Pastor Ben say that. This is week seven in a series that, that he's had City Hope in. And we're looking at the Beatitudes, the beautiful attitudes that Jesus talks about. This is actually like the precursor to what I believe and what most preachers would all agree to is the greatest sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount. And before he even gets there, Jesus starts unloading some incredible things. Now, now, now well, this is really just amazing because I, I think I'm sure that you have heard Pastor Ben preach some amazing messages before, but every preacher would agree that, that the message that Jesus preached on when he started talking about this is the greatest message ever heard. I'm really excited for you because today you get to hear the second greatest message ever heard. No, that went over like a Led Zeppelin. Hey, listen, but, but what I really do want to do is I want to pull out some truth that Jesus spoke on because when he started talking about this, this is actually the precursor to the message. Before he even got to the message, he starts dropping these truth bombs. And we call them the Beatitudes. And over the last several weeks, you've heard some of them. And, and, and this one today is in Matthew chapter 5. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there or it'll be on the screen. It's in your notes. Jesus drops this incredible truth bomb on us in Matthew 5 and 9 when he says this, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. And that's what I want to do today. I want to talk to you about making peace, about being peacemakers, specifically when it comes to our homes, to being homes of peace. Because if we're honest today, we might say that, that our houses are not really houses of peace. Maybe in the community around you or maybe in your own home, you would say, no, my, my house is not really characterized or categorized as a house of peace. In fact, it's more often likely to be described as something like as a house of strife or conflict or, or, or tension. And I believe God wants something more for us. I believe that God wants us to have a house of peace. But when you're, when you're sitting here today, you might be thinking, yeah, that's exactly right. Like, you're talking to me. When you want to talk about a house of strife, like, our family puts a fun and dysfunction, you know what I mean? Like, like we're just a house that is like that. And, and you might be like, maybe you're right. Like, you, you might be sitting here today and say, listen, the house may be dysfunctional, but it's not me, it's them, right? They're the dysfunctional ones. And the truth is, you could be right today. Because I'm convinced of this fact. Every single family, every family, I don't care who you are, how long you've been a family, every single family has at least one difficult psycho in it. It's like just every family that exists out there today may not be in your immediate family, might be in your extended family, but everybody's got at least one difficult psycho, right? I'll, let me prove it to you. Raise your hand if there's somebody in your family, just one person that's a difficult psycho. Come on, look at hands going up all over the room. You see this? You notice this? Now keep them up for just a second. I want you to look around because we said that every single family has at least one psycho in it. So if your hand's not up, I think we found you. <laughs> Right? There's, there's all kinds of difficult relationships that we have inside of the family dynamic. We all got difficult people inside of it. And it's so odd how we can easily slip into dysfunction. Now, I was thinking about this. Um, last time I was down, 
I, I got, we get to spend a little bit of time with the Murray boys. My kids love their kids, and I just love them too. And uh, the, the, the boys are just, for, for, to be four brothers, they're completely different. If you've never met the Murray boys, especially Gibson, if you've never met Gibson, he's the youngest of all the Murray boys, you need to meet Gibson. He's like an experience, you know? Like, he's just a, a different kind of kid. And I, I love him. He likes to wrestle a lot. Last time we were here, I walked in the door after being there a couple of days. And, and after I walked in the door, in one fell swoop, like in one sweeping fluid motion, he kicked his shoes off, pulled his shirt off, and then was on me ready to wrestle. Like, he was just like all over me, dropping elbows and everything. Now, the thing that I love about Gibson is he's the fourth of, of, of four brothers. And so when you're the youngest, I know I got a big family too. I got three brothers, four sisters. When you have that many kids in your family, you got to learn to either be tough or clever. And Kid Gibson got both of them. Like, he just figured out, I'm going to be tough and clever. And so, so what, what happened was, as he, as he was wrestling with me, I, was, I started to get the upper hand on him. And so, because you know, it was like a modern-day David and Goliath. I mean, like he's this big. And, I, and, and so he's climbing all over me. And, and so what he did in order to stop me from getting the upper hand is he came up with this smart strategy. Like, after we were done, he came up later, and he stuck his hand out like he wanted a handshake. And he said, I come in peace. I come in peace. And I said, oh, okay, so my defenses were down. I went to shake his hand. As soon as I did, he was on me like a spider monkey. I mean, like, I'm like, what happened? And so when I started to get the upper hand on him, I flipped him over. He said, no, wait, 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 wait. I come in peace. I come in peace. And the truth is, I think that we do a lot of, like, that's very similar to how we handle relationships in our family, right? We say we come in peace, but the reality is we come prepared for war. Right? If we really are honest about it, the relationships that we have in our family, we say, I come in peace, but really we're ready to sock them if we get an opportunity, if it doesn't go our way. Relationships can be really, really challenging. They can be difficult. And maybe that's, that's how you would say that's you today. Maybe today you're trying to raise your kids, right? You're trying to raise your kids and you got your mom and she's always constantly looking over your shoulder and you just want to say, would you just butt out and let me raise my kids? Or, or maybe it's your own kids, right? And you never thought you'd be the parent that, that would say all the things that you say, like, if you don't stop, I'm going to pull this car over, right? Or, or, or stop fighting. I'm going to give you to the count of three and then you count to three and then nothing happens. I'm going to give you to the count of five and that's it. And then you say, I'm going to give you to the count of 40. And then, I, then you just go into the bathroom and close the door and take a bath and let them fight in the living room because it's not going to happen, right? Maybe that's you. Or maybe you're the kid, right, today. And you think, my parents, if they're constantly just in over my, my back. They're breathing down my neck. And they never trust me. They never let me have my own control. Maybe today that you're, you're trying to raise a family, but, and it's a blended family. Right? And, and you got, you're trying to raise her kids and your kids, and then they're, they're together kids, and there's all these different people, and there's all these different uh, parents that are involved and step parents that are involved. And, and so you start thinking to yourself, how can we ever have peace with all of these moving pieces? Well, well, well today, I, what I want to do is talk to you about one of these beautiful attitudes, the Beatitudes that Jesus talked about. And I have tremendous expectation today. As I was praying about this, I just believe that God wants to heal some hearts today. I just really, really believe it. And so if we look at that passage of scripture, this is what Jesus said to finish it out. He said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they'll be called the children of God. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. Now that word peacemaker is actually a really interesting word. It's two different words, right? The first word is peace. What we translate as peace. In the New Testament, it's a Greek word, irene. But in the, in the Old Testament... It's a Hebrew word, shalom. 
And, and, and shalom was a greeting that Jews would give one another and still do to this day. Shalom, shalom. Now, when we think about shalom, we think that it's just peace the way we translate it, which means like the absence of chaos, really. Really, that's, that's not what that word means. The word is so much deeper than that. This is the real definition of shalom. It means wholeness, completeness, fulfillment, inner rest, living without deficiency or lack. And so in other words, shalom is more so uh, not just the absence of bad things, but it's actually what he's saying there is it's that it's the highest good. I don't just wish on you not to have hard times. I wish to you to have the highest good. So Jesus is saying, if we're going to be followers of his, we're blessed are the shalom maker, the highest good makers, because they'll be called the children of God. You know, when Jesus said this, just like the other seven Beatitudes, every time he said one of these, it was like a mind-blowing concept. Because the stuff that he's saying is countercultural. It was going against what everybody had been used to and, and everybody had grown up understanding. See, in this culture back in those days, it, it was a culture that said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. In other words, if you took out my eye, then I, I have the legal right to take out your eye, right? And that's the way it was. If you stole something from me in this culture, then I have the obligation. I have to take something back from you. So when he says this phrase, blessed are those that make peace, instead of operating from that idea, this was total shocking. And, I, and I, here's the thing. I think that he was saying this to the people that were listening to him. And I think he's saying this to us today too, that if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, if we're going to call ourselves Christ followers, if we're Christians, believers in Christ, then he's calling us to a higher standard. He's saying that those of us that follow Jesus are called to a different level. And he says, blessed are the peacemakers. Now notice, I want you to notice, he didn't say blessed are the peacekeepers, because there's a big difference between a peacemaker and a peacekeeper, right? I, I, was, a peace I was a peacekeeper for years. I would always be the peacekeeper. If, if my brothers had a fight or if one of my siblings were fighting with the other or my, my mom was, uh, or my dad was upset with one of them, I always got a phone call. All, one of them would always call me and say, Tom, would, would you just work it out? Would you call this one or would you work it out with that one? And I would always be on the phone trying to work it out. And, and here's the difference. A, a peacekeeper will do whatever they have to do to avoid the conflict in order so that everything will work out okay. Right? That's what a peacekeeper will do. They'll just, they'll just keep the peace. Right? They'll say, I'm not worried about the conflict. Let's just put it under the rug. Let's just shove it under the rug for a little while. And the problem is with that, when you just shove things under the rug for long enough, they just keep, the rug just keeps getting bigger and bigger. Right? And, and the things that, that were real conflict issues start to smolder underneath and nothing gets resolved. And so we get to this place where we just say, Let, let's just smile and get along together. If we could just get along together, then we can make it to the, the big holiday meal or whatever, and everybody will smile and everything will be okay, but we'll never get to the actual root of the issue. And so what ends up happening is when that happens, some, people just build up and that conflict that never gets addressed gets constantly underneath the surface until one day, one thing makes them snap. And they go, Rah! right? Like the guy in the video, Rah! right? And, and, and what happens is we, we just start blowing up at one another. And the other person's like, what gives? What happened? Like, why are you doing that? Because the thing is, it's never been addressed. That conflict was allowed to just sit there underneath the surface the entire time without being addressed. And so dozens of unresolved issues just happen along the way. But Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, not the peacekeepers. So what do peacemakers do? Well, a peacemaker will embrace the conflict in order to bring about peace. 
and we'll invite Jesus, who's the Prince of Peace, into our homes and say, God, we're not willing to just walk around the conflict anymore. We need you in the middle of it so that we can get to resolution. See, the amazing thing about Jesus was Jesus was the ultimate peacemaker. He was incredible at making peace. Jesus was, was, was so good at making peace that, that he always did what was needed to be done. See, see, Jesus was this. He was grace and truth. A lot of people think you can only be one or the other. Like you can only be grace or you can only be truth. But Jesus was both grace and truth. In other words, he always told the truth. He always said what needed to be said. You never find one time in scripture where Jesus said, I just really don't want to tell them that because I'm afraid it'll hurt their feelings right? Like Jesus was never doing that. It never, at one point, will you find Jesus in scripture going, well, I I would like to tell him that, but I'm afraid it would offend him. He always told the truth. Jesus never shied away from the truth, but here's the difference. He didn't just tell the truth. He was also grace. And see, that grace made it palatable. Jesus told the truth in a way that they could accept it, that they could receive it. And if we're to be peacemakers, we've got to be just like Jesus. Jesus is grace and truth. And he was the perfect example of that. So, so what happens is sometimes in, in a relationship, you have these challenging moments. And, and, and I think this can be most the challenging thing about being a Christ follower, a true Christ follower, is to maintain both grace and truth. And, and so the world says that's not exactly how you handle this at all. In fact, the world says what, the way you would handle it is if somebody does something wrong to you, well, forget them. I'm not going to deal with them again. Like, like that, you expect me to forgive them the way they treated me? Like, I'm not forgiving them. Or the world says this, uh, I'll forgive them when they crawl on their hands and knees and beg for it, right? And after I punish them just a little bit, then I'll forgive them, right? That's what the world says. But Jesus says, that's, that's not how we do. That's not what a Christ-centered home does. He says, blessed are the peacemakers, Paul backs him up with this in the book of Romans. In Romans 12, 17, 18, and 21, he said this. Do not repay evil for evil, which is exactly what everybody had been taught to do in those days. He said, but be careful to do what's right in the eyes of everyone. And then Paul gives this incredibly powerful statement. He says this. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, what are we to do? Live a life at peace with everyone. I know some of you are sitting there right now thinking, boy, I hope so-and-so hears this message because he needs it. Don't do that. Listen to God for yourself, okay? This is what God's saying to you. He says, as far as it depends on who? On you. If it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And then he closes it with this powerful statement. He says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Blessed are the peacemakers. They'll be called the children of God. And so what, how do we do this? How do we live a life as a peacemaker? What do you do? Well, here's what I want to do. I want to give you three things that peacemakers do. And you can write these down in your notes. If you follow this, these are simple ways that you can be a peacemaker in your life around you today. The first one is this. Write this down. Number one, peacemakers tell the truth in love. Peacemakers will tell the truth. If Jesus told the truth all the time, and we're to follow Jesus, we have to tell the truth. How do we do it? Ephesians 4.15 says it this way, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ. Now, I want you to know it says speak the truth in love. It doesn't say yell the truth in love. Some of us like to do that, right? You always do this. Why don't you ever put your underwear in the hamper? It's right next to the hamper. You never do that. This might be therapy for me today. I don't... 
We, we don't yell the truth in love, right? We speak the truth in love. That's, that, that's what we do. We find these things that, that, are tr- that need to be said. That's a conflict moment, and we do speak it. Now, here's how you do that. You look for non-conflict times to bring it up. You look for non-conflict times to bring about the truth. So you speak the truth not when you're in the middle of a good argument, right? When somebody is trying to chunk a shoe at you because they're so mad, that is not the time to say, and now I want to talk to you about some things that you need to address in your life, right? Because they're not going to receive it at that moment. So you look for non-conflict opportunities to, to bring about those truths. And here's the other thing that we do. We talk to the issue, not the person. We're, we're going to argue about the issue not the person. We love the person. The person is who we love. But the issue is the thing that we're going to address. And we're going to look for non-conflict opportunities to do that. I'm going to give you an example of this that, um, that happened to me a, a few years ago. My wife, Deborah and I were in a, like, a really good argument. And I know what you think. Like, pastors don't argue. Like, you just levitated and you got in here, right? Like, no. I was actually human before I was a pastor. And, 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 and so we were... <laughs> We were in a good argument, man. We, we had like, like some people tell me this. I, ta- I talked to this one woman. She said, you know, Pastor, me and my husband, we have never fought 24 years of marriage, not one fight. We've never had an argument. And it, it takes a lot inside of me not to go, well, congratulations, you married a carrot. You know, I mean, like, <laughs> because everybody, everybody has issues. Everybody has stuff that we disagree and there's conflict that happens. You're going to have arguments, right? And so my wife and I, were, we were in a good argument. We were, in a, we were rocking and rolling there, right? And I was doing my level best to explain to her how wrong she was. And she just wasn't getting it. I mean, no matter how hard I tried explaining and how right I was, she just wasn't getting it. And so what she did is the next thing that happened in the middle of the fight is she pulled out something from the archives. It's amazing. I, I, I'm convinced women have this ability that men do not have in their brain. Like, she's got a filing cabinet in there. She'll just open it up, and she'll just start going through it. Working. Like, why don't we talk about what you did in 2019? You remember that term? And, like, they, they've actually done studies about this. Guys' brains do not work like women's. Women's brains can connect all of these dots, and they can pull from all of these different places to use them in the middle of an ar- argument. Guys' brains are not like that. We actually tunnel vision in that moment. Like, all we can do is, like, focus on what's happening right now. We're doing good to remember 28 seconds ago. And and, and so when we're trying to argue in that moment, we have nothing to pull from. We cannot out-reason you. We cannot out-logic you. And so all we do is out-volume you because that's our only hope. So we start getting loud. We're like gorillas, you know I mean? Like, it's surprising we're not throwing other stuff at you in the middle of the fight. Like, but, but what she did, she went back into the archive. She pulled out the file. She said, well, if that's true, you remember this? And, and I was like, that's from like 2018. That's not even fair. It's not even applicable. And because I had nowhere to go, I had to start doing something. So I started attacking her character. So I said, oh, yeah, well, you never. And she said, I never. You always. And at this point, my brain's on fire. And we're lobbing bombs back and forth at each other, and we're not getting anywhere. We're not resolving the issue. We're just, we're just hacking away at each other. And see, at the, at the end of this argument, I don't know, it's because maybe it's because Deborah's walked with the Lord long enough, or maybe she just got tired of arguing. But it finally, at one point, she looked at me and she said, what have I got to do to convince you that I think you're right so this conversation can stop? That was what I was after the whole time anyway. But, but when she said that, like, I realized, like, she didn't care about being right or wrong. She just wanted to stop. And so I started to laugh. And then she started laughing. 
And then we stopped and we said, hey, you know what? This fight isn't working. So we, we walked away from the, the argument for a little while. And about 20 or 30 minutes later, when, when the emotions were cooler, we came back to it. And guess what? Within about five minutes, we fixed the problem. See, the, the truth is, is you got to find these moments where, where they're non-conflict moments to start working on the problem. And, and actually, to this day, we'll do that now. It's like a little button for us that if, if the argument is not going in the right direction, one of us will say, hey, what have I got to do to convince you that I believe you're right so this conversation can stop? And so what we want to do if we're going to be peacemakers is we're going to look for moments where the emotions aren't charging our words. When you have these moments where, where, where we can speak to one another calmly and, and address the issue and, and, and talk about the issue, not the other person. And at that point, they become more easily received. See, it's, it's when it's calm that you can say certain things like, like, listen, um, I, I think that you're, you're looking at your phone too much, right? See, when you're in the middle of a fight, you say, you, would you just get off your phone? You're constantly staring at your phone. And, and that becomes a heated issue. Which, by the way, let me take a side note to say this. I just feel like, like somebody needs to hear this. There should be moments in your house where you put your phone down, okay? Your phones are great tools. They're terrible masters. Quit being ruled by them. Go, go make a rule where there's no phones at the dinner table so we can look at each other and address each other like humans again. But, but if you're in the middle of a good fight, you'll say it a certain way. But if you were not, you would say, hey, listen, when you look at your phone at the dinner table, we feel undervalued. The rest of the family does. That's what happened to me. It's like my, my family, in a non-conflict moment, I'm looking at some emails. They, they called me out on it. And then I realized, oh, you know what? I don't mean to be undervaluing them. Let me put the phone up. And so you look for these opportunities to confront the issue, not the person, and you tell the truth in love. Here's the second thing peacemakers do. Peacemakers apologize when they're wrong. I know, that's a tough one. <laughs> you got to apologize when you're wrong. James said it this way, therefore confess your sins to each other, pray for each other so that you might be healed. Like that's good Bible, right? I mean, like for just a minute, just stop, stop thinking you're in church for a second. Just imagine if you would do that. Like if you wrong somebody that you loved, that you would say, hey, listen, I, I, that was wrong. That was offside. I apologize. Will you forgive me? And then, and then actually prayed about it. Can you imagine how incredibly different the relationships in your life would look if we just did that one simple thing? If we would just apologize when we're wrong and pray together. The truth is, this is how we do it. We admit specific things without excuses. That's how you apologize. Let me say that again. This is how we apologize. We admit to specific things without making excuses. We don't say stuff like, okay, I shouldn't have looked at that in inappropriate material, but if you would just meet my needs, then I wouldn't have to do that. See, that's not an apology. That's pathetic, right? Like, if we, if we say things like, like, listen, I, I know that you got your feeling hurts, and I'm really bad that, I'm really sorry that you got your feeling hurts, you great big baby, but see, <laughs> you're not helping anybody in this scenario, right? See, a real true apology says, listen, I'm sorry I raised my voice, okay? That was wrong, I, I, I shouldn't have done that in front of your friends. I belittled you, and that was wrong. Would you forgive me? I'm sorry that, that I didn't consider you, right? I could have texted you. I could have called, and I didn't, and I, and I apologize for that. See, you, you admit to a, a specific thing without offering up excuses. I have to call my kids out on this all the time. Like, like, like they will be fighting with one another, and it'll devolve. Like, I'll come in, and they're blah, blah, blah. They're going back and forth at each other. And I say, what's wrong? And, and it always turns into this, like, Dad, he said, and no, no, no. The reason why I did that was because she did, and it turns into this thing, and I have to stop and say, wait, 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 wait. 
stop. Let's just slow down, calm down, tell me what happened. And you know what we find out every time? That it's a little bit me and it's a little bit you. There's something that this one did that caused this one to respond in this way. And so then what I, what I do as a parent is I look at him and I say, what do you need to do right now? Say, I'm sorry. And I say, okay, for what? And this is how I know they don't got it. Because I say, say, I'm sorry. Sorry, Joey. For what? And they look at me like I got lobsters crawling out of my ears or something like that. I have no idea. See, when you don't know what, it's, what you're apologizing for, then what it is is you're just remorseful. And there's a huge difference between remorse and repentance. There's a huge difference between the two. See, remorse says, I wish we weren't here. I don't like the way this feels. I'm sorry that, that their feelings are hurt. I'm sorry that we're at this place. I, I'm sorry that, that, those, um, uh, that our relationship is broken. I'm really just sorry about that. That's not repentance. That's remorse. And that's a huge difference. Repentance says, I was wrong. I did something that damaged our relationship. I did that. And I need to make it right. I need to do something to make it right. See, there, you, you might even jot this down somewhere in your notes. There's, there's a difference between the two remorse is I'm sorry. I'm sorry is for mistakes, right? Uh, uh, will you forgive me is for sin. There's a huge difference there. See, I'm sorry I left the toilet seat up. That's a mistake, right? Will you forgive me for deceiving you? That's a sin. See, th th there's a big difference. And don't just stop and I'm sorry. You can't just stop and I'm sorry. Here's what we do in my family. We say, when we recognize that we have done something to damage the relationship, we say, I'm sorry about that. I apologize about that. Will you forgive me about that? And then I say this, what can I do to make it right? Is there something that I can do to help make this situation right again? And see, there's, there's the huge difference. See, Christ is calling us not to just abstain from, from chaos in our relationships, but to bring about the highest good. And I know these are tough. I know these are challenging, but that's what being a Christ follower is about. Now, if the first two were tough, you, I'm going to go easy. The last one will be really, really easy. It'll be simple. I come in peace. I come in peace. Okay, if you don't believe that, you're probably smart because this last one's going to be really tough. Okay, and here's the, the third thing that peacemakers do. Peacemakers forgive and let go. They forgive and they let go. Peacemakers will do that. And, and what I really want to do is walk really kind of gently uh, into this last point, because I know there are some people here that, that are probably thinking, well, of course you say to forgive and let go, because you're a preacher, and you live in Preacherville, and, and, and <laughs> nothing bad happens in Preacherville. You guys just get together, get around Pastor Ben, and sing Kumbaya for a little while, read some Bible, and go on. That, that's, not, that's not true. Like, we're real people, too, right? We have real issues, and I may not have walked through the pain that you might have walked through, but I can tell you this, I know what it's like to feel pain. I know what it's like to feel betrayed. And you might be here today and, and maybe your spouse uh, cheated on you, maybe multiple times. And you're thinking to yourself, like, yeah, how do I forgive that? I don't even, I don't even wanna think about forgiving it. I don't even know how to adjust it. I don't, I don't know how to get there. Like maybe somebody that was supposed to protect you damaged you in some way and abused you in some way. And you think, how can I possibly get to that place? Because the pain is so big. Let me tell you this. I'm, I'm not gonna say it's easy, but I will tell you this, it's doable. I know it's doable. Here's how Paul says to do it. Colossians 3.13. He said, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, now this is, is, to, is dealing with forgiving the unforgivable, right? If anybody has a grievance against someone, how do we forgive? 
as the Lord forgave you. He said, this is how you forgive. Just forgive them as the Lord has forgiven you. Now, I don't know about you, but has God, has God forgiven you of some stuff? And I think about all that he's forgiven me of. I, I think of all of the things that I've done in this life, and he's forgiven me. And, and he didn't wait for me to get it all together. And he didn't wait. The Bible says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for me to get it all right. He said, I'll forgive you. I'll make the peace possible. He makes a way. And this is how we're to forgive other people as we've been forgiven. I want to I share with you a story that happened to me. And this is, this is a really personal story, but enough time has, has gone by that I feel like I can share it. Um, uh, a couple of years ago, my dad uh, went to, home to be with the Lord. He died of, of COVID. Um, and, and when COVID hit, he, he had been, in his early years, he had been a smoker for years and years and years, and he had really damaged his lungs. And so he developed COPD. And so he, and not, not only that, but he had a number of different other health issues that had hit him. And, uh, and so when COVID hit him, it hit him hard, really hard. Um, but for years of his life, he, my dad was, was like a really opinionated guy. He's like a big personality, really kind of driven, opinionated guy. I'm an opinionated guy. So, so in my younger years, we had plenty of father-son challenges. We'll call it that. <laughs> and, and we had moments of, of difficulty and, and, and disagreements. And, but in my later 20s, I ended up living right across the street from him, uh, Caddy Corner. We came back and, and we lived just across the street from him. And, and we'd take the kids over and, and, and we'd, we'd hang out with them a lot. And, and one day, um, he got upset with me. He was angry with me. And, uh, and I, don't, I don't remember what it was about, but, but he was real, real mad. And he knew that the way to get to me is, uh, is not to me, it's actually through me. Yet, if, if you hit my, my, if you somehow hurt my family, that, that's the way you hurt me. Like, you could, you, could, you could make fun of me. You could hurt me all night and day. I, I'll forgive you for it. But if you hurt my family, maybe you're like this. Like, like that, that's just like, that's offsides. And so he knew that because family knows you better than anybody else. He knew how he could get, he could push the right buttons. And so you know what he did? He, he got to Deborah. And he started saying things about her that were not true. And, and then he insulted her and, and called her the mean things. And all this, and he said all of this stuff as, as though it was true. And, and because I had been a peace keeper for years and years of my life and I had allowed this to build up and build up and build up inside of me you know I said finally at this it was the straw that broke the camel's back and I said you know what that's it I've had it I'm done I'm done with this man and everybody around me all my family were like man I, I, I get it I understand I said no you don't understand I'm done with him I am done he has hurt my wife that's it it's over I'm finished and I walked away and I said, I'm not going to have anything to do with that man again. In fact, not just me, but my whole family is going to be over here. We're going to live over here. And he adored my kids, his grandkids. He just loved to be around them. And I said, you're not going to have the pleasure. I'm not going to give you the benefit of being around them. And so we're just all going to ignore him. And so we went, even though I was about 50 yards away from his house, I would live there. And day turned into week and week turned into month and month turned into year. And for two years, I didn't speak to the man. And my, my kids didn't either. He, wouldn't even, he wasn't even allowed to see him. We would be out in the yard. I would be in my driveway, and he would be in his. And we could see each other. He'd be working on his car. I'd be right over in my driveway. He was close enough that if I had a rock, I could hit him. And some days I thought about it. <laughs> but but we, wouldn't, we wouldn't even look at each other. We wouldn't address each other. And that's how it went for years until finally, one day, my sister came over to my house. It was right around Christmas time. And we're the kind of family that is like, man, we got the whole family comes over. We do the big deal and like Christmas and Thanksgiving and all the big holidays. We do that kind of thing. 
And so she came over and she said, Tom, why, why don't you just come over and, and, uh, and bring the kids? You don't even have to talk to them. Just come over so we can be together at the holiday. You know what she was trying to do? She was trying to keep the peace. She wanted to be a peacekeeper. And she said, why don't you just do this? And I said, no, I can't do that. I'm not going over there. Because what he has done was so wrong. I'm just not doing it. And you know what I did? I actually used the Bible to back me up. Because, because if you know scripture, you can, if, you, if you want, you can make it say anything you want. I actually used the same scripture that I use today. I said, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with all people. And this is how I interpreted it. I said, he lives in peace over there and I live in peace over here. And that's how that worked, right? And I said, I forgive him. I didn't. I didn't have any forgiveness in my heart. I was still angry. I was still bitter. I was still upset. I was still upset with what he had done. And then, then God did this interesting thing. He used my sister. He spoke through my sister. And, and she, it was so powerful in that moment. And I knew it was God because you know how I know? Because when it's God, it doesn't matter who's saying it. It just, he pushes all that stuff out of the way and he gets right to the heart and it nails you. You know what I mean? And when the Holy Spirit does it, he just did it. He, he cut through all the baloney and all the lies and he nailed me right in the heart. And this is when my sister said this thing that I knew it was from God. It wasn't even from her. She, he said, she said this. She said, Tom, if you really forgive him, if you really forgave him, if you really loved him, she said that you would care more about the relationship than being right. Oh, man, it just nailed me. It is so frustrating when your sister hears from, the God, from God. You know, like the Holy Spirit's talking to her, through her. It's like, of all people. And, 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 you know, and so you got this opportunity here. Whenever the Lord is talking through somebody, he's speaking right through you, and he does that thing like he might be doing to you right now, by the way, you have an option. You, do, you get two options, really. There's no third direction. You can either say, God, I hear what you're saying, and I'm going to move on that. Or you can ignore him. And good luck with that one because he's got this thing he thinks he's got. And, and like he'll just keep working on it and working on it and working on it. He's going to get his way. And so I just, I knew that. I'd walked with him long enough to know that the Holy Spirit was dealing with me on this issue. It was frustrating that it was coming through my sister, but it was nailing me right then. And so I looked right at my sister and I said, well, the Lord spoke through an ass before in scripture. I was going to say that he couldn't do it again. I wasn't being vulgar like he did that. In the Old Testament, he spoke through a donkey. But, but as soon as I said that, I realized that she was, she was being used by God, and the Lord was talking to me, and so I stood up. And I started to walk towards this house. I walked out my door, and, and I, I started taking the steps. And every step was harder than the next because I was getting closer and closer to his house. But I pushed through that, and I came to his door. I knocked up the door, and he opened it up. And he was a shock to see me as, as I was that I was standing there. And, and I said, Dad, can I come in? And he said, yeah. And so I sat down on his couch and I said, I address the issue in a non-conflict moment because I'm not a peacekeeper, I'm a peacemaker. And I said, Dad, what you said about Deborah was wrong. That was wrong, it was offsides, and it hurt me, and it hurt my feelings, and that's not right. And I, I don't care for the fact that you did that. And he's just staring at me. And I said, but can I just tell you something else? What I did was wrong too. I shouldn't have behaved that way. I shouldn't have taken my family up and not spoken to you for two years. That was wrong. Will you forgive me? And you know what he did? He looked right at me and he said, I forgive you. And, and then he didn't address the other part. 
Like, he never said anything about his part, the part that, like, I was right. Like, you need to know that. I was right. He didn't say anything about that, and my flesh started to rise up in that minute. I wanted to say, yeah, but what about your part? But instead, I thought, wait, I'm a peacemaker. If I care more about the relationship than I do about being right, that part doesn't matter, and I threw it down. I said, Dad, what I'd really like to do is come over this Christmas. He said, son, I think that would be great. Would you bring the kids? I said, of course. And I came over that Christmas, had a blast. And over the next couple years, I watched in amazement because of the risen Jesus, I watched him change. And I'll never forget the day that I was getting, I'm standing up and I was preaching one day and my dad was in the back seat. He he in the back of the church and he sat. And at the end of my message, I gave an opportunity that if you wanted to follow Jesus, that you could receive him right then. And it burned into my brain, guys, the day that my dad went, boom. And if that day is burned in my brain, the next day is always cemented there too. Because I'll never forget the day that I looked at my dad in the water of baptism and I baptized him with my own hand. I watched him go in the water as an old man and he came out a new creation. And I was, the, I was there to do that. I was able to do that. Now, would, would any of that stuff have happened if, it, if I didn't take those difficult steps across the street? I like to think that God was working on him anyway. He didn't need me. He could have used somebody else, but I got that. I got to have that because a few months later after I baptized my dad, he was in the hospital with COVID. And the way that that worked in those days is they wouldn't let anybody in. For, for months, he sat in a hospital room by himself without family until the last day, right before he took his last breaths on this earth. He was surrounded by family and his sons and his daughters and his grandkids. And he looked us at, at us in, in the eye and he saw that before he went to Jesus. And I want to tell you this thing, man, and I, I hope you get this. More so than, if you don't listen, I hate it when preachers say this. If you don't get anything that I say today, just make sure you get this. You should have just told me that. We could have went to lunch a lot earlier. <laughs> but listen, if you don't get anything, hear this. Family is worth it. Family's worth it. And I can say this because I sat there and I did the same thing. Some of us sit there and we say we're Christians, but we're not acting like it. And we haven't forgiven them. And we say we did, but we really haven't moved on it. Listen, if we're going to be followers of Jesus, when someone slaps our cheek, we turn the other one. When somebody steals our shirt, we give them their, our, our coat too. When, when somebody has a difficult spot in a relationship, in marriage, we don't just say, you know what, I'm done with this. I throw up my hands. I'm not going to deal with that anymore. You take your stuff. I'll take mine. We'll just pretend this never happened. When you're a parent, you don't say, because my kid has walked away or done something, you're not my kid anymore. That's not what we do as followers of Christ. We make it right. We are peacemakers. When you have in-laws and they're driving you crazy... Can I just tell you, you're going to be an in-law one day too, and you're going to be annoying. (laughs) Find these moments where you can be a peacemaker. Don't walk away from it because family is worth it. Blessed are the peacemakers. They'll be called the children of God. You know, I got three kids. Every one of them looked like me a little bit. The really blessed ones look more like her, but they they look like me some, right? And, And the truth is, is God said that if, If you're made in my image, which you are, and conformed into the likeness of my son, which we are as believers, then we'll look just like our father. You know how you look like your father? You forgive 
even though they don't deserve it. You forgive even when you were right. Jesus was up on the cross and he says, forgive them, Father. They don't know what they're doing. He forgave first. He made peace. Blessed are the peacemakers. They'll be called the children of God. Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, I just pray you do what you showed me you were going to do. When I prayed about this service right here and I was believing, God, that you would make peace. God, in the hearts of some of your kids that are far from you, in the hearts that are, are, have strained relationships, God, Lord, we want to be peacemakers. We want to be just like you. No one's looking around. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I want to ask you this question. Do you want to be a peacemaker? that's you. I just want you to be bold. Slip up your hands. I want to make peace. I want to be a peacemaker. Yeah, everywhere, all over the place. Yes, yes, yes. Let me ask you this question. Is there a strained relationship? No one's looking around. This is between you and God and just me as a pastor. There's a strained relationship that you need God to make peace in. Just lift up your hand because I want to pray for you too. Yes, God bless you all. Look at hands. Every, so, so good, so good, so good. All right, I want you to put your hands down because I got one more category of people that are nowhere in this room. You're, at, you're not at peace with God. You got turmoil in your life because you've never received the forgiveness of God in your life. You've never said yes to Jesus. Here's my sin. Here's my shame. I apologize. I, will you forgive me, God, for doing wrong? And God says, listen, I'm right here ready to make peace with you. All you got to do is do that. Come clean with me and I'll forgive you and make you new. If that's you, just no one's looking around. Just lift up your hands. Slip it up. God bless you. Yep, yep. I want to make it right with God. Yes, God bless you. God bless you. Right now, in the name of Jesus, I declare, God, that there's freedom in this house. I declare that there's, there's liberty in this house. Lord, we can have peace again. I pray for those that want to be peacemakers, God, not peacekeepers. Lord, that you would give them the anointing to be able to do that, the strength to be able to do that. God, there's a relationship that's strained right now. I just pray, God, that only through the power of Jesus Christ that you break off the bondages that have kept them lashed up to unforgiveness. It falls off of us now in the name of Jesus that that is no longer allowed in our lives. It's no longer allowed in our families, in our friendships, in, in our co-workers. God, we walk around as peacemakers in the name of Jesus. And right now, if you believe that Jesus Christ was, was who he says he was, which is God himself who came down to this world and lived a perfect life that you couldn't live and died the death that you deserve, if you believe that, that he didn't stay dead, but he got back up, the Bible says if you believe that with your whole heart and you confess it with your mouth that you're saved and all you have to do is do that. We're going to do that right now. I'm going to help you with the words. You can use my words as we pray this out loud all over this room. You believe it in your heart. You confess it now. Say it this way. City Hope, help them. Say, Lord Jesus Christ, I surrender my life to you. I know I've sinned, God, and I need forgiveness. So I open up my heart. And I invite you in to take control, to be the Lord of my life, to forgive me of my sins and make me new. And from this day forward, I'll never be the same. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen. Come on, give God praise